Hi and welcome back to Real Opinions. It's been a while since we've done anything in general uh, that's on the channel and in our own lives, I think. Yeah. Um, but now, now we're back and we're just going to, I think, just hop straight back into it rather than make any points about why it's been a while since we've made something. That, that, well, that made it yeah. sound a bit dodgy, but okay, that made it sound like... Oh, I was gonna... I was thinking that maybe I'd explain the big fight that we had. <laughs> uh, I just seem to remember it was at, like, this big LA party, and you ran at me with a sword, and it was something about you not telling me your sexual orientation, oh, or something like that. <laughs> it took me way too long to get that, and then when I did, I was overcome with anger. <laughs> That's good that <laughs> 20 seconds in, it's already just pure anger from you. Um, when's, when's the next, when's his next project out? I don't know, because he did have the whole, um, uh, for people not aware, that was a reference to Max Landis's uh, magnum opus, Me, Him, Her, the, his directorial debut. Because he had a kind of a, like, part of a scandal, didn't he? Where Mini. people basically came out and said, Max Landis is exactly how you imagine in that he's abusive to people. Yeah, there the, there were vague allusions, but no no one came out and like definitively said anything. There were just rumors. Or, were they not? Or, were there not two or three people that did? No, well, it was, was all it was all the implication. It was all veiled, like oh, a certain. I'm sure the tweet was something like. A certain director's son must be getting very worried around round about now, and that was oh okay yeah it was things like that. So it was, no one's concretely said anything. We just all assumed or or wanted it to be Matt Landis. Mm. I know I wanted. Well, to be to. fair, I, I haven't seen anything pop up on social media or anything like that. And just checking on the IMDb, it's still the let the the top thing in pre production is the. Uh, is the, the whole rumour about the American Werewolf remake, as well as... Um, Isn't Deeper? it Deeper? I don't know if you remember. Yeah. We discussed maybe doing that script on uh, Backstory Scripts at some point. Mm. That's the one that's that he pitched on, like, movie fights or something once? Yeah, but it's a Lord of the... And it was like Lord, of the Lord of the Rings prequel. Was it? Yeah, it was Lord of the Rings in the modern day. The submarine went mm. down to Mount Doom. <laughs> But uh, that that's Did you ever see that thing where he talked about making his Space Mountain movie? Yeah, no, they, because they want. Well, they're doing. They're slowly getting around to all the rides, aren't they? Because mm. the Jungle Cruise is coming out now. Well, he was talking about Space Mountain, and and it was like Hellraiser. It, it was <laughs> or, or like, like it was people went on this like Event Horizon. That's probably more accurate because it was about people going on like spaceships and they slow every time they made like a like a jump through hyperspace they lost a bit of weight and it turned oh, out no, eventually it was them losing yeah. their soul like gradually and it goes into like weird metaphysical horror and that was his pitch and again he did that thing when like no studio wanted it he was like studios just aren't the studios are just afraid of original ideas it's like, no, no, Max, they're afraid of stupid ideas. <laughs> they're afraid of very, very stupid ideas. For some reason, Disney didn't like this idea where I slowly tortured these children in a film. <laughs> when, I, when I took their fun adventure ride and turned it into a dark, miserable... I mean, actually, that, that, that does actually describe Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. So. Yes, but that's not about kids and it's also not meant to be 
like, well, the first one was kind of funny in some ways, but it did have this very dark side of it. But it was not, like, it's it wasn't aimed at kids clearly. Whereas I feel like Jungle Cruise is what they're going for now. Like they're going for a lot more light-hearted, like family fun kind of thing. Mm. I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean three does open with a child being hung. Yeah, I don't know what they what they <laughs> went with that because they kind of thought. They went grungier as it went on. I don't know if they were inspired by, like, Harry Potter or something. Harry but... Potter never hung a child. <laughs> Either the film or Did the character. Not... But what I mean is that, you know, how that yeah. kind of got grittier as it went along. And therefore, um, they, they thought, oh, maybe these should go, these should get uh, grittier as they go along and darker. Yeah. And then people just responded by saying, this is too miserable for us. But that was that was the era when, like, Every blockbuster went down dark and gritty route because of the success mm. of like Batman and James Bond doing that same thing, and so everything was miserable and gritty for a while. It's a mixed success. Some of them worked, and then now the pendulum's just swung back in the other direction entirely, and now everything's a comedy. Everything wanted to be the Dark Knight, and then now everything wants to be like Marvel. Yeah, and then something else. Will... Well, now I suppose maybe it's leaning towards towards the Deadpool, where they're all going to try and be ours. I am I am writing something about that, like right now, about this like our Renaissance and how everyone's praising it for every everyone at the moment is happy with it, and so am I. Because it's leading to things like It and Logan and good films that wouldn't have been made mm. before. But you can see that studios don't quite get it. They don't get that people are happy that there aren't restrictions and that films that would have previously been kind of constrained and interfered with are being made. They just think people like it because it's art. And what it's going to mean mm. is we're just going to get loads of things where it's like, do you like this? It's got swearing. And I think you already saw that with like, the Happy Time Murders earlier this year, where the trailer for that film was just, look, the Muppets are swearing. Is, did you want to <laughs> see it? And they're already talking about R-rated Star Trek and R-rated Transformers. Did you see the thing about R-rated Transformers? And there was R-rated Fantastic Four. These are all things that are rumoured that sound ridiculous. And it is, it is basically confirms what you just said, that it's it's the new it's the new thing, the new the new trend, the new bandwagon, and even though we all love it at the moment, we'll soon get sick of it if they don't do it sensibly. Because I've heard the idea of the rated R Star Trek for a while because it was just the rumour of Quentin Tarantino wants to make a Star Trek film. What he said just think, was he wanted, why? To, he wanted to make a film about the horrors of space, which doesn't... I mean, I can't think of anything more in keeping with Gene Roddenberry's vision of a optimistic, unified future <laughs> built on tolerance and love and compassion than something about the horrors of space. He said that someone could get sucked out of an airlock and have like their intestines explode everywhere. That's that's really getting back to the heart of what Star Trek is about. <laughs> that's like we're, we're we're after all of the reinventions and everything, we're really returning to just what it was like in the sixties when people exploded and there was the constant threat of like being alone in the vast expanse of space. It wasn't about the wonder and the excitement of new exploring new frontiers. It was about being cold and alone and frightened in the dark. I just love the idea of like 
the old episodes trying to show that. Like, the idea of them trying to show someone being disemboweled by a vacuum in space in, like, the old 50s show. Yeah, it's good that they return to their roots. Because Star Trek Discovery... Star Trek... It's not like Star Trek Discovery came under a lot of criticism for already being too dark, and that wasn't a 15. It's not like that happened. (laughs) It's not like... Well, they got a lot of flack for just swearing once. once. Yeah, for swearing once. It wasn't because people didn't like the swearing. It's because they felt like the the swear word didn't belong in the universe. Which it doesn't. like swearing was canon. But it doesn't. It (laughs) felt weird. It did did feel weird, but that was more of a tone thing as opposed to some people where they felt like it was a people don't swear in this world. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, like in-universe, no one's supposed to swear. Yeah. It just felt, it felt, and this is what I think is going to happen with all these R-rated things, it felt very, look at me, like, um, like a, Mm. like a teenager who wants to prove he's not a kid anymore by, like, smoking visibly in front of everyone and constantly (laughs) forcing a cuss word into every other sentence. Because you drew, if you draw too much attention to the fact that you're swearing, then it doesn't feel cool, it feels kind of sad and pathetic. Yeah, see I've 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 always had a kind of problem with swearing in films not like I I have like a reaction to it. It's just I find it's very much it's just like a lot of things in cinema. If you use it really well at the right moment, it can really give a moment like an extra kick of of comedy mm. or like a bit of extra drama. But so many of the t- so much of the time it's just like a crutch for people that don't want to properly like write a character or something or like write drama or comedy they just add in lots of swearing and i mean it, it, it's it's it, it depends entirely on context because i mean there's like a casino mm. or the wolf of wall street is filled with swearing oh yes probably yeah. more swearing than something like i don't know sausage party but it's absolutely fine for casino or for the wolf of wall street because they do it well and they do it appropriately whereas Sausage Party, it does feel like a, a crutch. Like, just, yeah. we're swearing. <laughs> also, like, as, as well, just to go into the context of that, is that Sausage Party is deliberately trying to make you laugh with it, whereas uh, that it is obviously a part of Wolf of Wall Street, but it's also meant, meant to, you're meant to be going like, oh god, this is crazy, like, yeah. this is all about the excess of it, like, everything's over the top. I and suppose, yeah, the, and the same, the casino isn't trying to convince you it's cool i i i see what you mean it's it's a it's a very fine line because there are films that i love that you could accuse of overdoing the swearing or of of trying to be cool with it like like kick-ass for example but i don't i just Mm. think that kick-ass does it well and the happy time murders or whatever doesn't and it just feels lame it's it's a fine line that's it's entirely contextual and to do with execution not necessarily just having lots of swearing is good or bad it's it's it has to be taken almost on a case-by-case basis yeah and i think i I think that's just for me i just have that dial i think turned up a bit more than you anyway Mm. because i remember that because i was just thinking about it the other day because i think that was one of the only negatives i listed in like my whiplash review and it's not like there's excessive swearing throughout the entire film. I just think there was like one scene where it just felt like a sudden change of now there's lots of swearing to the mm. point where it felt like it was a different writer to me. Right. And it just felt like it was 
because so much of the film was kind of this unspoken tension between the two that was rapidly building and he had such clever um uh god I was I'm just going to say J John and Jamison's character is he called Fletcher is that what you call Fletcher yeah. yeah uh he was um he had just had such a really cutting way of insulting people before that again felt like he was an intelligent character and an intelligently cruel character but still he knew how to press their buttons was it just mindless swearing i understand yeah and then when it came to the one scene like later on where there was suddenly felt like a dial had been turned up on the swear counter that was one scene where i remember being taken aback by it it's 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 very there's no i don't think there's any hard and fast rule which is what's so funny about the mpaa because they do have they do try and apply hard and fast rules to these things mm. um which is why I, uh, like a really uh, one of my favorite jokes in the South Park movie isn't even a joke that's in the film per se. It's like an incredibly meta joke, which is that the South Park movie, they say the F word one time less than you can to get an NC-17. And so they were proving how arbitrary and pointless it is to just like apply a rule like when you have this many swear words that's when you get this rating yeah so they just pushed it to the last they deliberately made it just one less than below the threshold to to kind of make like a meta joke about how completely arbitrary and pointless it is but well i suppose the main main way people are introduced to that now is the is the reverse of that where it's in a uh, well, it's a fifteen for the UK. I th- mm. or is it a twelve in the UK where you're allowed? One like, you can only you could say the F word once. Yeah, that's a twelve in the UK. That's a twelve, which is yeah. why and that's why all the X Men's have one. Exactly. That's the that's just the example that I think of. the uh, The first class one yeah. is always the one that I think of. Whereas the, the MCU still haven't used it. They use like they use shit a fair bit, and they use um like douche. They've been up it. I feel like they have been up in it, but they've not. Like, Guardians is probably the most foul-mouthed, and even then it's just, like, <laughs> shit and turd. They never, they've never they've never crossed the line yet. It's Disney foul-mouthed, yeah. Yes. The only time they have was in Iron Man 2, and it's bleeped. What, what's the example for that? In Iron Man 2, like, there's, like, a televised court case. Do you remember when, like, the, they're, like, try, the, the military are trying to, like... Get oh, get yeah. the rights to Iron Man for themselves, and he's like saying, "No, it's it's my thing. It's like an independent thing." And when he wins the case, one guy says, "Fuck you, Mister Stark," but it bleeps it because it's live television, and that's the only time they've actually used it. I suppose by that comparison, then they've also they had a a, a version of that in the first Guardians, I think, where oh he uh, says what the says, f- like, and then like, he goes oh. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's like a a fizzle or something yes. like that that covers it. I hate that. Like a bleep, if it's on like a TV show, I think you can get away with it. But I think if you if you like censor swearing like that, it just feels lame. Just don't do it at all. I always there's a bit in I think it's Sucker Punch, where a character like yells, uh, they yell motherfucker, but they do it, but they say mother and then shoot the gun. So that you can't hear the second part, and I just think, what's the point? What's what's, <laughs> what's the point in even pretending? I find that that is a lot harder to pull. Like you know how I was saying, like the idea of swearing is kind of hard to pull off sometimes. 
Uh, I think that cutting off the swearing is even harder because it can really easily come off as lame. And it always does. Think... <laughs> it literally always does. I think there's like, there must be, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's examples where characters get cut off in the middle of saying something. That's, if they that's do it different. I, if, way, if, it's, if they I get cut that. off, like, by another character, I think that that's okay. But but if it's, if it's like, a car horn like muffling it or something the, the worst one the worst one is in die hard 4 which is the only pg-13 die hard where he, <laughs> he says yippee kaye mother and then just doesn't finish it he just says yippee kaye mother that's <laughs> which is so embarrassing especially like since it's Die Hard of all films. Yeah, it's the fact that it's also, it's his most famous quote. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally just defecating over your legacy. Like in That's mod- a perfect example though, <laughs> because it shows how the studio changed it so much that they couldn't, that they, for fear of losing a rating, they changed the very essence of what yes. Die Hard was. That's, the, that's the, the weird irony of this, is that only five years ago, maybe... We were having like Robocop as a 12A. We were having like mm. a Robocop without the blood. And we were having Taken 2 and Expendables 3 have PG 13 sequels. And now we're having Transformers and Star Trek being rumoured as ours. It's like such a radical and complete 180. In a short space of time. I think it's just people find it weird as well because it's just common sense that people would, adults want to watch films. That's the weirdest. It's it's just, it's just like you should be able to like recognize that not like one thing suits all. You should just be able to tell that there are some films that should be ours and there's some films that shouldn't. And it should be very, very obvious which ones. It should be obvious that Die Hard needs to be an R, and it should be obvious <laughs> that Star Trek doesn't. It should be obvious that Transformers is for children, for example. Like it sh- that yeah. should be very obvious, and it should be obvious that Die Hard needs to have swearing and violence because that's like that's what Die Hard is. That's that's part of part of its identity. Oh, it's baffling. It's, it's it's utterly baffling. And then, what's the point in making some of these PG-13? Because, like, like making the Expendables a PG-13 so that it appeals to the kids. The kids didn't want to see the Expendables in the first place. Like, it wasn't for <laughs> they didn't them. see the first one. Yeah, it wasn't for them. And 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 if you take a, and if you make it a PG thirteen, then when the kids do see it, they're just gonna think it's lame because you've taken away any appeal it had. Mm. the thing that I've kind of found interesting from this is that if you would have said like a few years ago oh like the studios are making more again we're just kind of I feel like we're just at the beginning of this turn so it's Mm. not it's not bad yet it's also it's not I wouldn't say it's enough to call it a proper trend yet right but we'd have to see for like the next wave of releases because I feel like on a mini tangent I feel like with the success of La La Land and now A Greatest Showman, I feel like we're going to get into another bout of like musicals and things like that in the next few years. Mm. And I feel like we're just starting to get into that with like A Star Is Born coming out now, Mamma Mia too. which I think is getting a lot of hype and everything. 
but what I mean is that we're slowly trying to get into this R thing, and I, I feel like if you would have told me that a few years ago, I would have thought it would be because of, like, the open access of the internet and, like, Netflix and Amazon mm-hmm. being open to people and just offering content like that. But it's actually cinemas, like it's Deadpool and Logan and things like that. Yeah. It's it's the big, like, it's the things that are actually driving people to go out and see them, like it, uh, as opposed to, I would have thought it'd be these companies that, like, get stuff broadcast straight into your yeah. straight into your living room. And yet, when I think about it, I can't really think of an... Uh, of a graphic like an 18 Netflix film or um, Amazon original or something like they don't really even have that many original horrors and when they do it's like 15s Gerard's game Annihilation had a bear eat someone but again that's a 15 and also that's like they've gone we- they've, weirdly they've gone way more into like the artistic like side projects of directors I would uh, say they have gone into the trash <laughs> the, the oh, they they pulled did... out a lot of stuff from the trash. They definitely. have they have like really gone for the trash now. Like I, I what was the last good? Like what was the last good Netflix original? You hesitated. Uh, That's enough. Because I'm hesitate. I'm still hesitating. Because uh, this year well, alone, we've had Mute, Tau, um, The Cloverfield Paradox, Annihilation, which sucked. Wait, what? Uh, not Annihilation. What was it called? Uh, Extinction. Uh, I was going to say, Extinction. I really liked Annihilation. No, I did like what? Annihilation. Extinction. Extinction. They have a very similar title. Because the, the thing is, is that whenever I think, oh yeah, I d- I've en- I'm enjoying that on Netflix, and then I realise I'm enjoying, as in their, their TV shows, I enjoy their TV shows, mm. or their miniseries. I hope Apostle's but good. There. I, I have a lot of vested interest in Apostle, because I really like Gareth Evans, and I really like Dan Stevens. And then when I saw it was going straight to Netflix, I went, oh, no. <laughs> no. It is it is actively making me <laughs> yeah. uninterested in films that come out on it now. There's another one that, that... There's another fairly... That was, like, a fairly big film that's now going straight to Netflix, and I did just go, oh. Uh, I, I thought, oh, maybe I could watch this in time for this. But uh, it's it's the new Jeremy Solnier. Oh, Solnier? yeah, the, the, yeah I, know the, I know the film. I know the film. So he made, uh, just for context for listeners, he made Blue Ruin, uh, then Green Room, and now it's Hold the Dark, mm. which has been getting, from what I believe, poor reviews. Yeah. And again, so it just sounds like it's just another original film that Netflix have kind of picked up the, from the bargain bin that no one else wanted, but it's got a few names attached, so they know people will click on it. At least they gave us open house. You and I <laughs> That was... <laughs> I still don't know what to make of that. I'm still... I can tell you what to make of that. Because <laughs> it's, so, it's so actively not scary. That's the thing that, that I still find hilarious. It's not so so bad it's funny. It's just incredibly not scary. What was enjoyable was when we started figuring out the editing patterns. Yes, that is. We started <laughs> clicking when when each cut would happen and when each jump scare. If you were following a horror film completely by formula, you'd have like rises and falls. <laughs> yeah, it falls. <laughs> rises and falls. It's already making my brain slightly dumber. Um, but you'd have rises and falls, and then in this one, it just kind of levels out everything. <laughs> it, it subverted my expectations by being a horror film in which <laughs> nothing happened. 
uh, a serial killer mystery in which we never find out who the serial killer is, nor are we really presented much of a mystery. Well, also, it's the, it's there's no reason to it. Because I remember you setting it up for me, just saying the director thought, oh, I find it really creepy. Just open houses, the concept that someone can come into an open house and they just walk around your house. And I thought, okay, well, if that's a stupid premise, but I'm sure that's... If it leads to something, then that's fine. But then halfway through the film, the character says one it. of the characters literally just states his mission statement. <laughs> Which I wanted to do. I wanted to do for open houses what Jaws did for it's such a it's such a high-reaching quote that's what i love about that quote and then because there's no reason for the killer and there's no information about the killer given it's just open houses are scary aren't they see you next time folks you made a very good point which was that that whole open houses a freaky thing feels more like a stand-up routine? Like, <laughs> like, have you ever noticed how weird open houses are? <laughs> and you make, like, the cookies and you put them in the oven. What's the deal? What's the deal with the cookies? <laughs> yeah, so that was actually the topic of why I suggested why we should record the podcast. Can I, uh, can I just now, defend us a little bit? saying 30 minutes. Uh, to defend us a little, I listen to podcasts that are ostensibly about certain things like films or video games, where they spend 30 hours talking about nonsense before they arrive at the topic. At least we were talking about films. Yeah, that's, but that's the thing, is that I find that while we are relatively rambling, I feel like we always ramble roughly about films. We don't go off into our own, like... Insight. Well, we do go into inside jokes, but they're related to film. I think <laughs> that um, we generally relatively rambling topics. should be the <laughs> the new title. Yes. Uh, Black Klansman, because I saw it today. Do you, do you want to go into your kind of thoughts on it, and then? Uh, so it's, it's been a bit on? longer since I saw it. Cause it it's has probably been near a month actually. Um, oh, okay. So maybe I should more go into it then. Yeah, and I'll and hopefully you'll remind me what I thought, or or I'll just copy you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, Black Klansman is it's a biopic sort of. You call it a joint piece. It's a spikely joint. I'm not cool enough to call joint. it a joint. Stop calling it a film. Uh, Ron Stallworth is the first black police officer in Colorado, Colorado Springs Police Force. He's joined into it. They kind of hinted it as more of a, they've got to start opening up the ranks. A diversity sort of thing. He really wants to get into the investigative side of it. He wants to become a detective. And through these black power rallies coming around town, he does get a chance to go into undercover police work to infiltrate these rallies and see if the black populace is being riled up by these motivational speakers yeah that leads him to finally being a member of the investigative team uh, he sees a, an advert to join the Ku Klux Klan just in the newspaper mm. which I didn't know that was that was that they actually advertised for members and he calls up and decides to join as himself he does that over the phone um, and so what 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 they end up doing because obviously he can't actually turn up in person to any of the like Ku Klux Klan events because they'd realize that he's black he has to he has to like develop a character with uh one of the white uh guys on the squad yeah uh, played by adam driver i think his name is skip in the, uh, uh yeah that sounds vaguely they familiar call, they call um, so so uh ron Stallworth 
plays him over the phone because he, he uses his own name, which is one that, like as like a rookie error. He actually gives him his own name. Yeah, his actual name. Yeah. Uh, so he plays him over the phone, um, like kind of doing a white voice. Yeah, he's basically he's just talking as as he puts it in the film. He's just speaking King's English. Yes, like that's just how he's raised. And then, so he he like collaborates with um, Adam Driver's character to to make sure that they've got like the same backstory and all these things for the character so that Adam Driver can go and continue the role when they have like in-person meetings. If it's the kind of thing where if this wasn't a true story, I would have just been incredibly confused as to why he continues to do the things on the phone and the mm. other guy continues to be him in real life when the guy, the real life guy could just pick up the phone and they don't no, they no longer have that problem. Mm. Uh, there's not really a point where it's explained why they continue to do that setup, besides the fact that uh, it was Ron's idea in the first place and it's in his name. But they don't really establish that. But it leads to he gets eventually on to become a constant caller of David Duke, the leader of Grand Wizard, uh, the KKK, the Grand Wizard. Yeah, and still is uh, is he not? No, I think he left. Actually. No, but he was. But he uh, is like a political figure. Yes, yeah. Basically, the thing that stood out for me with this film is that I knew it was... They, they'd created quite a bit of focus on the comedy aspect, and it didn't disappoint me in that sense. I mm. found it quite funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have a couple of issues with it, but but not, not too many. But overall, I did think it was a very entertaining film, a funny film, yeah. a surprisingly funny film. At times... Uh, uh, an emotionally affecting film. Some of my issues mm. were to do with the serious moments, but largely I thought they worked. And it's anchored by at least two very good performances. And I think you could make yes. a case that a lot of the, the members of the clan as well do a good job um, with, obviously, much more unlikable characters. For me, some of the... And I think that it's definitely Spike Lee's best directed film in a long, long, long time. He's... he's it feels like he actually put in effort and gave a shit. <laughs> really, really tried to do a good job directing this one and giving it a bit of energy and a bit of style. My, my issues were more to do with some of the writing, which I'll get into probably later, which occasionally felt a little heavy-handed for me. Overall, I enjoyed it. I feel quite similar to you in that sense in that I think that overall I really enjoyed the story and I really enjoyed just the characters. Mm. Uh, but I, I kind of want to go into the negative first and then I'll maybe go more into the positive. Okay. If a, this was by a non-auteur, and I put that in like air quotes, mm. director, I think it would get way more negative reviews just purely because when they do these things where they put like the graphics on screen or they do... Yeah. Like, some scenes do go on for a bit longer than necessary, or they are a bit heavy-handed in some places. Or get to that scene with the graphics on the screen, because I assume you're talking about the same one that I'm thinking of, because probably did, yeah, did not like, enjoy There's that. two or three instances of it, and it's things where I didn't feel like they were outright bad, or I didn't feel like they changed the, the mood or the tone of the film. It was just kind of things that I felt like were clunky, or could have been worked clunky. better. I think clunky is a, is a good word for some certain parts. Mm. And I felt like it got a bit of a pass because he's an auteur. He's branded as an auteur. And so they just kind of go, it's his style. Mm. As opposed to that didn't necessarily fit the moment or fit the film. Yeah. And I think for the most part, I thought that he did a good job with all of the characters. But there was one in particular who... I, I, I get why they have this character 
presented this way, but I just did not think that it fit this film. And that's the one that's kind of like Cletus, like the really stupid one. Do you know the one I mean? Mm, the really yeah, stupid one. Too where, stupid. Yeah, where it's like I get what you say. I get I get the point, and I get that there are people that stupid in the world. Like I do not doubt that for a second. But it just felt like the other clansmen were despicable and uh, stupid enough in their own right. Yeah, they also were, being they were, believable. They were stupid in their own ways that yeah. I've seen like these kind of characters represented before. But um... but he was a cartoon character, and yeah, I get that. On one hand, you could argue it's a good thing because you are kind of like demeaning and like very very much belittling the Ku Klux Klan. But it, if anything, it undermined the idea that they're a threatening, terrible thing. When yeah. when there's a yeah. bumbling no, that way bumbling times. imbecile in charge of it, it's like why would you be afraid of these guys? This is just an idiot. I I, I felt like he was a misjudged character that didn't fit this film. He felt like one of the guys from Django, you know, with the the bags on their heads, which is fine in Django because it's got a much more heightened movie-ish tone. But here he just stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Again, I I just said the negatives of the style before, but I feel like because of the, the more flamboyant way that it was directed, I think that it gave him a bit more leniency like mm. you said with Django but the thing is is that he's also this act this actor I don't know did you ever watch Itonia no he plays basically the exact same character in Itonia oh right where he's okay. like he's like the stupid sidekick but he's like so stupid to the point where it doesn't feel real mm. so he's definitely typecast this guy but um I think that he does stupid very well it's just that he kind of it's kind of it's a bit over the top but I think that he had one or two moments where I typically don't enjoy the characters where their entire character is, they are stupid. Uh. But he had some moments where the mo- moment that I kind of think of is when um, Ron shows up as David Duke's bodyguard mm. and the two clan members kind of stand beside him uh, just to kind of threaten him before going off somewhere. And the the dumb character walks in front and then turns around like he's going to say something clever and then just, like, passes air for, like, uh, out of his mouth, I mean, <laughs> like, for, like, just 30 seconds. He just can't even think of anything to say. And I found that funny. Like, the 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 moments where it's kind of, it's almost like silent movie acting for him. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, I agree I agree that he, he almost deflated the threat of the Ku Klux Klan. Which is a shame because the other members of the clan were pretty, I would say, universally good. Yeah. Um, I really, strangely, I really liked the relationship of the guy and his wife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just because at, at first when, like, when she, just the fact that she's really into it, which is kind of like the exact opposite of what I'm used to these films, where yeah. I'm used to the guy's kind of the... Uh, like the one really pushing it and the wife's kind of just like not that sure that mm. she's going along with it anyway. Whereas in this, it's kind of the exact opposite where she's she, obviously she's going along with it because he is her husband, but she's kind of going further than him because she's trying to prove like, I belong with you. Like I'm really into it. Like mm. we could do this together. And I like that. I, I liked the scene where they're, they're in bed together. Like, 
in like a rom-com where people lay in bed together and they dream about, oh, in the future we'll have a house and a mm. puppy or whatever. They're talking about killing people in the street. <laughs> and I just found it a really, it was a different relationship to what I've seen. And they were, in a way it worked to both humanize the Klu Klux Klan, not in like a, not like in a, <laughs> in like a, oh, I, I, am, I feel I know bad you mean. for them. It was just in a way that you realize that they are real people and they genuinely think this way. Yeah. And so it's a weird detachment. No, I, I, und- I understand what you mean. And I think it is, I, can, I think it is an important point to make because there will be some people who will argue that you don't, that when you make films like this, you shouldn't humanize like real monsters. Uh, mm. I remember that being a point that some people made about that one, I forgot what it was called, but the film about the Boston Marathon bombing. Right, uh, Patriot's Day, yeah. was it? Yeah, so that, I think, I never saw that, but I remember people making point that, that it humanised the the um, the actual bombers and, and treated them like real people and gave you a look into their lives. And some people had a problem with that because that you shouldn't humanise monsters we, mm. don't, we don't want to treat them sympathetically after what they did and there have been similar points made about films like captain phillips and others i'm drawing a blank at the moment but others where it has taken real events where real people did terrible things but i do think it is actually important to treat them as people even if they're bad people to to yeah. share, I do think it is. An I think it's interesting because it's the difference between explaining and excusing yeah. people. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to treat them with sympathy, but I think empathy is important, and there is a distinction between those two things. And I think it is important to be empathetic, to understand, even if you completely condemn. It is important mm. to understand the thought process and to see that these 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 things that happened in real life, you have to treat them seriously and not reduce them to like good and evil or or, or overly simplify them. And it is important to actually treat to 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 try and depict things in a realistic, more complex way. And that does not mean the same thing as, like you said, excusing them or treating them sympathetically or compassionately it just it mm. just means that you're actually telling a more complex story and a more realistic story yeah and also it's just the fact that there's no like if you're just making a story where there's just the villain and they are like they just embody hate and that's all they stand for like that works for films like uh, World War Two films or something like that where they're just fighting against the Nazis because that's just like Indiana okay. Jones it works for because that's an adventure the classic film. villains it just works for but even but Schindler's List gives um Goeth not yeah huma- well humanity like evil bad humanity but humanity all the same and does show him as a man I remember I kind of leaned briefly into this topic a while ago um because I reviewed Imperium I don't know if you remember that. Oh, at all. the neo-Nazi one with Mr. Radcliffe. Yes, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, that's that's his name, and that was kind of following modern neo-Nazis, and it was very similar. It's about a guy kind of infiltrating it. Oh yeah, yeah, it is similar. Yeah, and the thing that I kind of liked about that, and I remember talking about in the review and finding it similarly like to now, I found it quite hard to talk about. But it was that 
a lot of the like the most interesting aspects of the film for me were them trying to explain their views or the fact that it was focusing on the internal politics of the clan like it was them kind of fighting against one another and then falling to kind of bitter quarrels in between themselves mm. ridiculously petty things that broil into like that person doesn't like this person we've had a rift here whatever and it was like we're saying with the humanizing thing like it was never at any point did i go like oh yeah now i get it like now I'm, now i'm yeah. all aboard but <laughs> yeah you you would sway kind of points out that they're uh they're not just like these these things that exist, like these evil things that are completely detached from everything else and they're just evil and they're if any... there. It's like they're actually people as well and they've fallen into this way because of certain things in their life or because of their setting or because yeah. of well, if anything, like, whatever reason, context, really. If anything, it's more responsible to do that because you also... Mm. You also... If you, if you don't do that, then you kind of deny showing how insidious certain viewpoints can be. So, for example, uh, if we if we go back to uh, Black Klansmen, there is a mm. part where David Duke starts talking about how, like, I don't hate black people, I don't want them to go away, I just want America to be American. I want it to be... Yeah. I just want, uh, like... I want to preserve, like, our identity. I don't, I don't want to get rid of black people. And yeah. that... that by by showing you what he thinks is a reasonable perspective, by showing you that that's how he thinks, you kind of realize how insidious and and slippery slopey arguments like that can be. Yeah, because you know other people, or you've seen other people on TV and in the news who say things like that, and you realize like, oh, that's that's actually how some people do think and you make that connection a lot easier whereas if they're just snarling like racist caricatures then you think eh, yeah. it's okay people like that don't exist anymore that's that's the past that's that's not something that i'll have to worry about that's not something that i can relate to the modern day or relate to things that i see on tv mm. but when you see it presented in a in a more rational almost i don't i'm not i don't mean rational. i, I know but... yeah it sounds wrong to call it rational but i, know, uh, I think moderated yes maybe then you then you can make that connection and you can see that like this is still a problem for example or this is this is something that i can actually identify with and that i can actually pinpoint in my reality in the world that i live in and go oh there's someone who thinks like that but if they're just mm. if they're just like I don't know a, a character a character from like a plant a slave plantation in the eighteen hundreds, you can go eh, well. That that's that's not that's not something that I have to understand yeah. or have to contend with. I think that this that was one of the things that I really took away from the film that they really did that aspect well of how this still relates to modern yes. issues. And not just from the ending. Uh, not just yeah, not just from the very end, but through ways that they set it up throughout. In that they talk about this, like moderation of language, in order to kind of slowly immerse it back into society, as opposed to remaining on the fringes. Mm. And that was the kind of thing where 
like they talk about the idea of him slowly becoming David Duke, becoming a political figure. Like he's changed it from Grand Wizard to uh, Company Director, and mm. little things like that that you laugh at in the film, and then you realise that. Like I know that you uh, didn't like a particular scene mm -hmm. where it, I agree it's slightly a bit too much on the nose where they say where they talk about this like the future of where this is going and they say like this is what they're trying to do they're trying to push it more into this like using subtler language they're trying to push it onto other aspects like talking about the economy or talking about immigration and they're trying to take this hatred and reflect it off another topic so that you're not outright calling it what it is, but you're using that same emotion deep down within. And uh, and eventually, they say, and eventually leading to someone leading the White House, which I agree is, in, in the scene, it feels a bit too forced, like a nod to the audience of, you know what this is leading to. But I found that the idea just within that, that yeah. scene was it's very interesting on, to me. On the and it's thing, a thing that they really they led on to further on in the film that they had little touches like the handshake and other aspects of the uh, community that you then, when they show the footage at the end, it felt less like a jump of mm. look, nothing's changed. And for me, it was look, things have adapted. And that's why I found it really interesting. I didn't mind the, because I, I, I think that from what I said about that, that particular moment where, where he goes, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it is something along the lines of like, this country would never elect a, like a racist, small minded racist or something like that. I remember what he says. Mm. And I did think that was too on the nose, but when it cut to that last like 10 minutes, I, yeah. I, I didn't have a problem with that. I didn't, I didn't mind that because it, I, it it felt less like an easy joke and more like a, a a serious point that I actually think the film made very well, like it, yeah. it lined up a lot of evidence and led up to a conclusion that I went okay you know what that you you earned that you 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 earned that in a way that I think if another film didn't do it as well, it would just feel like lazy or forced, but exactly. this this film like set up all the pieces so that when it got to that um last like ten minutes or whatever of documentary footage it felt like a logical conclusion and it felt like there was a through line that i understood and went okay you 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 earned that yeah that's the thing is that it felt earned and i felt like i'd seen all that footage before but it, it i felt a lot more connected to it the second like just seeing mm. it in the context and if you told me beforehand oh the film ends with cutting to the modern day for documentary footage like news footage mm. i would have kind of inwardly groaned and thought oh that's cheap mm. but it like you said i agree with what you said it that it felt earned and I, I kind of had two emotional reactions from this film and one was the scene where they're uh they're telling the story of uh the boy that got pulled out of the jail and killed in the street that was a horrible and, story yeah, yeah that was that was complete and i thought that it was that that scene where like the cutting back and forth between the group sort of slowly telling the story, mm. chanting Black Power, and then cutting to the Ku Klux Klan, then watching the film and chewing popcorn and throwing it at the screen and mm. having a, just having real fun with it. That made I me that hate really them so much. Not because mm. of what they were practicing, what they were believing, but because of their cinema etiquette. <laughs> And then, but then the second devotional moment, sorry, I got distracted there for a second, but it was that it was watching the documentary footage at the end mm. and when that car plows through and I just kind of, 
it made it much more real to me the fact that I knew what was coming from that mm. and seeing the people react to it. But what this film does very well is, as we mentioned before, was it blends the comedy in there. And there were moments where I had emotional reactions that were of the almost opposite effect. One of the scenes that stands out to me is one of my favourites because it actually made me smile, which was not something I was particularly expecting to do watching this film, is mm. the scene where they like entrap the racist cop at the end. Yeah, yeah, that made me... Yeah, they had a lot of great... Uh, I, and I think it is just down to me having stereotypes of what films like in this period should be mm. because I really enjoyed the, the fact that they're just weren't racist white characters not mm. from a like uh, a standpoint of oh i'm so tired of all these films every white character's a bad guy blah 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 but mm. i kind of i kind of went into it expecting it to be at least a spike like, film less, uh, <laughs> them working together as a team or something about how they've mm. got to learn to understand one another and it kind mm. of doesn't it just kind of goes into them being working together and it just made me like, right at the very beginning, you just said it's a very entertaining film. Mm. And it feels wrong saying that after what we just discussed with the emotional scenes at the end. But I think you're right in that it, it made me smile, it made me laugh, and at the same time, it had a message that it really, I think, excelled at mm. putting forward. And it had those emotional scenes. The other moment, um, it was a similar one like right towards the end, was when he his final phone call with David Duke, which it turns out is yeah. one of the completely yeah. fictionalised moments because he never found out about oh. it until years and years later from someone else. Oh, okay. It, well, now you've ruined that. I know. It, 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 it did sort of make me, oh, but at the same time, like just watching that scene in the context of, of the film was, was it was, a, it was like a, a very satisfying moment. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, did, I, I really liked all of the moments where like they were on the phone and the other guys were laughing and he had to like try and yeah, get that was, yeah, that was it, it was fun. It, it was a thing that, and surprisingly, it didn't get old because there are about three scenes, mm. uh, like, well, there's more than three scenes on the phone, but there's three scenes where there are people snickering in the background. Yeah. And I thought, uh, if again, uh, thinking back on it, I thought, oh, I would have expected it to kind of grow a bit tiresome near the end, but I just I enjoyed it and it kind of felt like you were laughing along with it. Yeah. It helps that um, Denzel Washington's son, whose name I forgot, has a lot. Yeah, of no, it, he kind of he he definitely comes across as a bit like stilted in the beginning. I think that's it's sort of intentional. That's obviously part of the character. That's the yeah. yeah. That's that's I think that's very very deliberate. He he does yeah. have a lot of charisma, and all the uh, to go back to the cast point. I think I started making at the beginning of this discussion, and then kind of <laughs> lost my way. Uh, Adam Driver is also very good. And yes, as yeah. are the 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 three clan men that I'm particularly thinking of are the 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 crazy one, the mm-hmm. the 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 one who was like the real villain, uh, Topher Grace. I thought was very good. I, I always yeah. liked Topher Grace. I don't understand why people give like pick on him. And <laughs> the I don't want to say the reasonable one, but the one the, the <laughs> one that you would no, but the the non the the, the non most level headed crazy one. one the most level headed one you know what yeah. i mean the yeah. the one that like defends adam driver all the time 
Yeah. He tries yeah. to interrupt the Jew test. Which again, I thought was a, it was a good character. Talking about it, actually, I'm kind of enjoying it more talking about it okay, now, well, thinking back on it. circle then... back then to a negative, because we haven't actually discussed yeah, exactly. my... my too positive. We, we haven't discussed my my biggest negative with the film yet, actually. We, we oh, okay. Which is, and, and I feel like you'll disagree with me, but I got quite annoyed about this on numerous occasions. I found the, and I don't remember their name, but every scene with the girl mm. could have done without those scenes entirely. Could have cut all yep. of them out. Did not, they were unnecessary, and I found her a very, very irritating character. Very irritating. I didn't find her because it's, it, irritating. Is, it, it, I just felt like... It's more of a personal thing with me in, in almost any film, where I... Just can't stand characters who yell at people or who who are that stubborn about like principles that they'll get mad or oppose someone who's trying to do a good thing. So she has this like rant at him for infiltrating the KKK and like working with the police when he's obviously trying to make progress and do a good thing, but because he's not mm. doing it in exactly the way she wants. And because she has such a dogmatic view, she just yells at him and screams at him. And I was just like, go away. Go away. You're so annoying. I don't... I do think that of all the characters in the film, I think she was the... I'm trying to say the most poorly done. Yes. Not... And and in both senses, in that I think that script-wise, I think she could have been written way better. Yes. Because there is actually a decent... uh, There's an interesting argument to be had where they have it on the porch. There is actually an interesting way to do that scene, probably. Again, I'm not the person to write it, (laughs) but... But she just comes across as an asshole in that scene. Exactly. And it just comes across as an unstoppable force meeting an uh, an immovable object. (laughs) Like, it's just... It's not satisfying of a scene because one's sticking to their guns and the other one sticks to their guns and they just yell and then they just move apart and that's it, the scene. But also I felt like she was really just very thinly written. And then at at the same time, I think uh, another actress might have elevated it past what was on, Mm. what was written. And I don't felt like her actress, her actress could have done a better job basically is what I'm saying. She just, it felt like every scene with her was either the film devolved into what I was afraid it was going to be, which was like a point where two people would talk and it would, devolve into like two different think pieces talking to each other right like i I get what you mean my political view my political view alternate (laughs) political view the same political view back but louder yeah and then secondly so that was that was issue number one that her scenes felt like that and issue number two was that outside of that what purpose did she have besides sort of being a generic love interest that had to be saved at the end. She's just in a film well, that is too is long. She, it leads, it ties it back into this final, uh, I suppose, action scene. She, she is actually relatively, I think, important to the plot in that providing that first moment, that first setup of why he gets into the police work, and then eventually leading to the final scene with the KKK. Mm. But that's why I kind of feel like she was badly handled because she, when you, when I think about it just from plot points, she's actually pretty important in mm. the script, but she doesn't feel that way in the film. I never felt like she was important and I never felt like I truly got her, even though there are 
like a couple scenes where they're just as a couple uh even though i enjoyed um them talking about films just because i liked people talking about films <laughs> but uh even if the posters were covering up that's half the frame that for most that of was the time, that was way the point uh, was that every scene i could think of that i didn't like such as that scene was one with her in it because I hated that. Yeah, I, I think that if she... I, you said that he, he was very charismatic. Mm. I don't feel like she worked very well either with him mm. or just didn't have the same level to match it. If the film was given more of a focus on her and her, she was treated better, basically, yeah. I think that she could have been... felt like less of a odd piece to everything. A roadblock in every scene. Because, like I said, I found all the Ku Klux Klan members treated really interestingly and the other police officers i found treated were very interested in, mm. l- like it just felt like a speed she, bump every time it cut back to her character yeah like because i'd be i'd cut from a Ku klux klan scene that I was enjoying or or a scene at the police station that I was enjoying to a scene with her and i would visibly feel myself like slump back in my chair like uh... yeah i don't think it's down to the film as a whole uh, not being well written or the actors yeah. not being well directed. I just think that it's just her because <laughs> they're like I said, there are characters with less screen time, less importance that are treated better. Yeah. Um, like just the the scene that we mentioned briefly, where they're discussing about the boy that was murdered. That I, I was more connected to his character, and he's only got one scene. Then I was more connected to the speech guy in the very beginning. Uh, than her <laughs> yeah. character throughout the entire uh, Alec film. Baldwin. No, no, not Alec Baldwin. <laughs> okay, I, I, com- I completely forgot about Alec Baldwin. Uh, I meant uh, the Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. I, I I completely agree with you on that negative point. Looking back on it uh, as a whole, I did really enjoy it. Uh, when I was in there, uh, certain scenes I think could have been just a bit snappier mm. or like stylistic things. They didn't just didn't need to be there didn't add anything to the film and if anything i just found it kind of distracting because i felt like it was the uh it was taking away from Mm. what was actually happening on screen to make it uh very i'm not contrived not the that's not the word i'm thinking of but very constructed like it was making me aware of the director not Mm. getting me more involved in the characters of the story i understand um and at the same time, I understand that, like, it kind of, it, it lends itself to this, like, it's not playing completely on reality, this film. Like, it's clearly having fun with aspects of it. And I could kind of see where that, that links into that excuse, but I felt like it might just be the fact that I just stylistically don't like those things. Yes. Anyway, do you have any other points you want to make at all? Or... Uh... No, I'm all good. Yeah, I, 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 I got exactly what I was hoping out of this film from the trailer. And, yeah, uh, I would say I, it surpassed my expectations as someone who has seen a few Spike Lee films. And the the scenes that we talked about not enjoying, that was kind of almost what I was expecting the whole film to be like based on Spike Lee's yeah. other films. See, I'll have to admit here, I have not... I've only seen uh, Do the Right thing yeah i've not seen any of his other work and so i'd be completely biased and making an assumption from that do we have anything else that we kind of want to talk about we could just go into another thing where we segue from one one (laughs) point to another did you see the news about 
Dark Phoenix. The fact that they're actually making it still? Well, I mean, that was that was a new story a while ago. Did you see the trailer that came out recently? Uh, I did see of, the trailer. At the time of recording. Yeah. Did you see what happened immediately after the trailer came out? No. Oh, it's been delayed by another, like, four months. Oh, no, I did I did see that, yeah. After I, I just find that funny. Immediately that after right the trailer afterwards. came out. Do you know why, though? Uh, I don't know an official reason, no. Why? Well, it's time for another mini-episode of Chinese Box Office. <laughs> Our favourite sub... I, I really need to, like, think of a jingle or something. Oh, you didn't see the Meg. We'll have to talk about the Meg afterwards. Go on. But, uh... <laughs> but, um... No, it's been delayed just because it was a massive success. The trailer was a success in China. The trailer got 44 million views in 24 hours in China. Okay. And so, so... What, they've, what they've done is they, they, they've delayed the US release so that it can sync more up with the Chinese release, which would have been later. That is Because bizarre. obviously if it came out in America that early, then Chinese like uh, people would just pirate it. That is not what I expected. Okay. Um. No, because I was when I first heard it, I thought, "Oh, something negative has happened in the production." But no, it's 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 actually a decent point to make. Like if you're delaying it for that, but the fact that I did not expect it to be such a massive hit in China. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why. Well, I saw the Meg, um, which. Mm. Me? Okay, we're done with Chinese box office, well, it's done. We're not done with Chinese box office though, Jack, we're not. Because... Oh, you, you've got a segment. <laughs> uh, well, it's not It's not Chinese box office, it's... Let's let's make it a Chinese the... pandering um, segment. Because yeah. the Meg may have stolen the crown from Transformers 4 for being the most pandering I've ever seen. In a studio oh, blockbuster right. China, it's astonishing how far they go to 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 make the film almost like Dragon Blade in terms of like you know it being a fifty fifty split between two nationalities. Because that's interesting because I wouldn't have thought about that from the trailer. No, like, I just didn't get that impression. I don't know if they have like maybe a separate trailer for China. Because I thought the same thing. I was like, I didn't get an impression. Well, they because... they probably do because they speak a different language. Oh, shut up. You know what I meant. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, because a, a good portion of the cast is Chinese. And the the screen time is relatively leveled out. And the film, I instantly like thought, oh, hang on. When the studio logos came up and it goes like, I think it might be Warner Brothers. So the Warner Brothers logo comes up. But then the Warner Brothers logo comes up again in Chinese. Oh, <laughs> I haven't seen that before. And then, and then, like, the film fades in and it says, like, that, like it, it tells you what part of the ocean it's in, in, like, text at the bottom. And it says 200 miles away from the Chinese coast or something. And then it plays, like, right. I can't remember if it is Chinese or if it's, it might be Vietnamese. But I imagine it's Chinese, even though the scene is set in Vietnam, just because the whole thing is pandering to China. It plays a cover of Hey Mickey. Okay. And it plays it several times (laughs) throughout the (laughs) film. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's the recurring theme of the film. Uh, and, uh, And then the whole last act takes place at a Chinese beach. 
Of course, yeah. With, like, Chinese culture and Chinese, like, things that Chinese people do at the beach being, like, heavily I didn't the realize forefront. they had different beach things. Oh, shut so up. Just I, don't, just I didn't mean... Use the beach <laughs> like we do. Shut up. I meant, like, Chinese celebrities at the beach and things. Like, like the Chinese spring break is what I'm trying to say. There's, like, a Chinese... Oh, okay, right. Chinese equivalent of the spring break happening. And then they, like, make a point of, like, how the American government are, and all the other governments of the world aren't helping out with the Meg. But the Chinese mm. government are the only ones that are, like, taking an active interest in, in taking it down. Right. Because they're, they're the good guys. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. Did it end up doing... Yes. Did it end up doing that well? It did well in China. So that... That's, that can, that wraps up this week's China I just, segment. I, I just genuinely find it so interesting because it's it's... I don't know why I have to explain this concept every <laughs> single time we have it on. But I just kind of want to point out that I'm not just doing it because... Well, hey, it's different. Like, aren't these? Uh, it's just because it's the kind of news that I don't see anywhere else. Did you see what I happened don't... to Fan Bingbing? She went missing for a while. What? Did you not see this? She went like missing for like three months. And she was like, it was like she was last seen on like the first of the July. Top, it's the top three thing. It's Fan Bingbing, Fan Bingbing X Men, Fan Bingbing missing. <laughs> <laughs> she so she like disappeared from public life for three months, and some speculation. Well, this only came out seven hours ago. Yeah, so it's it's it, she went missing. No one knew where she was. Now we know where she was because she's um she basically got into legal trouble with the Chinese government. Last time I checked, it was unknown exactly on what charge she was taken. <laughs> But, right. But, <laughs> she, she did something. And, Taken. Yeah, I'm not making this up. She, she, she just went. She was just gone. One day she was just gone. Um, I'm I'm reading this article now, so I'll read out uh, statements from it. She was accused of of signing multiple contracts for for films mm. uh, and her ad campaigns which included like Louis Vuitton and De Beers and she they they called them yin yang contracts um, right because it like so one of them was like so you see half the contract but you don't see the other half like light and dark in late July uh, it was reported that there she was being investigated for some kind of financial things and then also posts on social media were being removed by the government mm. about her whereabouts. And then in early September, some two months after fans disappearance, I'm just reading word for word here now, China state run securities daily newspaper reported that the actress had been put quote under control and <laughs> accept the legal decision unquote. Oh, the story was taken offline after hours after it was published. <laughs> oh God. So, so she hasn't like been found. It's just that now it's been reported that she's under control, and then it was deleted. Well, there you go. That's, I told you I wasn't making it up. She was meant to be in a film in uh, that that aired at uh, Toronto Film Festival, mm. and she's not in the film anymore. So they think that they've had to delete her out of the film. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. At the time of her disappearance, Fan was also reportedly suing a Chinese billionaire for defamation after he accused her of sleeping with China's vice president. <laughs> what? 
He claims that Fan, uh, the billionaire she was suing, claims Fan disappeared because someone wants to shut her up, not because of tax evasion. Oh. It's always really interesting stories. <laughs> That's the thing. Did you see I'm really the... Glad um, that you brought they this one up now, because it's really interesting to me. Hi, it's iPhone Jack here, just chipping in with a little uh, update to the podcast, um, which is that since... Uh, when Harrison kind of first mentioned this Fan Bingbing story, I hadn't heard about it at all, and now in the last 48 hours since we've recorded, it's kind of blown up a lot more, because she has come out back into the public. Uh, I'm not going to go into, like, the thoughts or whatever, because this is just me providing an update. It's that she has had to pay uh, $130 million back in taxes, because uh, the yin-yang contracts that I kind of, I feel like I've only very briefly mentioned were um, the idea being that she was sending one con version of the contract to the government to show this is how much I should be paying taxes, whereas the actual amount was way more, and that she was basically skimping on taxes is the idea. Uh, fans and companies related to her were ordered to pay around $42 million in late taxes and fees, along with the fine of $86 million. And there's not going to be criminal charges or anything. And as a last note, she's added a uh, a note on her social media, just a standard apology letter. As a public figure, I should have abided by laws and regulations and been a role model in the industry and society. I shouldn't have lost self-restraint or become lax in managing my companies, which led to the violation of laws in the name of economic interests. And that she completely accepts the decision. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything else to, extra to add to that. Uh except for if anything interesting comes up as to why she just disappeared. But more on that another time, maybe or maybe not. Okay, back to the podcast. They unveiled the title for the Happy Death Day sequel. Oh, I did see that. It was something incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> it's Happy Birthday to you. Spelled two as in the number. Yeah, and with you, a number two. And yeah, then you, the, the letter. The most embarrassing way possible. <laughs> Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you—that would make you want to see it. One last thing: it's, it's old news now, but it is—it's our news. We have a Bond director placing. Oh, I was yeah, going to call him do. Danny yeah. McBride, replacing Danny Boyle. <laughs> Danny McBride's doing <laughs> Halloween, might as well move <laughs> to... Danny, Danny McBride doing Bond. To be honest, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if he was somewhere on the list. <laughs> uh, but it's Carrie Fukunaga, yes. right? I'm currently halfway through Maniac. I didn't watch the Maniac. Is it good? <laughs> I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's... Uh, the thing is, is that I think a lot of the trailers portrayed it as being mainly a drama. Mm. Uh, where I think it's it's a comedy, okay. I would say, mainly. It's got, um, but it's very... Uh, it looked very legion-y. It, yes, actually, it is quite legion-y uh, in its humour as well. Like, it is quite a, a dry humour, mm. really. And uh, I'm enjoying it more as a comedy than I am as a drama, although now it's kind of reaching the halfway point. It's sort of leaning back into more dramatic scenes as you've gotten to know the characters more. And it's doing them better, and I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm not completely smitten by it. Mm. Otherwise, I would have, to be honest, I would have already finished it. Right. But it's, it's really entertaining, and it's, uh, it's just visually interesting every single episode. Well, and would you would you say you like it as much or as or less than True Detective? 
definitely not as much as True Detective. Would you say you like it more than True Detective season two? That's a stupid question. No, you don't like anything as much as True Detective. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's hard to top that. Um, just for pure, pure enjoyment levels <laughs> alone, that was. To be honest, the plot is probably way more convoluted in True Detective season two. <laughs> even though this one, they're talking about the fate of the universe while jumping through co- different people's consciousness. You you um, you always talk about True Detective season two like it was a laugh riot that we all enjoyed, but <laughs> most of the time it the was very was, boring. That's the thing is that it's because I was enjoying it in that way. I kind of you were, so I, for some reason I just think in the back of my mind that everyone really enjoyed it because it was funny. <laughs> No, and then I realised that probably not. Everyone just probably thought it was boring, and that and I'm the only one that looks back on it fondly, but for completely different reasons. It's like the TV equivalent of Chappie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It is though. It is the guy the the traffic cop had just about as much character as Chappie. <laughs> Paul, I don't. I can't believe you Paul. forget Paul's name after the amount of it's jokes you wrote about it's Paul. Because all I've got to do is just think of what is a man's name, and there's so many different. Oh, John, Scott, it could have been anything, you... and I would have felt like I would have got it right. Oh, you poison goose! <laughs> anyway, um, Bond, Carrie Fukuyama. Sorry, I completely <laughs> forgot what we were meant to be talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's good news, I suppose. He's a decent director. But the, what's surprising is obviously they fired Danny Boyle over creative differences, and because they wanted wanted him to do. Yeah, well, he walked away from the project due to creative differences. So why would you hire? It's too strong of a term. So why would you hire someone <laughs> debatably even more like idiosyncratic? Because he already got kicked off of it for like. Pushing things too far. Mm. This, uh, this, yeah. this... It's, it seems strange that Danny Boyle, of all the people, is like too far for Bond. Where I feel like he's not. I feel like he can tone it down pretty easily. He's I versatile. Think. Whereas Kerry Fukunaga seems like he's. Like, we, well, we did the whole thing on it. If you haven't listened to it, Backstory Scripts is our other podcast where we did over two hours talking about his original ideas for it. And they were pretty extreme, and he refused to back down from that. So I don't know how they're going to make him do a big blockbuster film. Or he might have he might have learnt his lesson from it and wants to be back in the spotlight. It would be like Kathleen Kennedy firing Phil Lord and Miller, and then like like replacing them with Noé Gaspar Noé. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would be surprising. How great would it be if he still made a very generic, bland? Oh, uh, that's, that's what I was just thinking as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it just came out exactly the same. I don't even know why they need... Like, the thing is for Bond is that up until... Were you going to say I don't know why they need directors? <laughs> just... Yeah, I was genuinely going to say something to that effect. I don't know why they need a named director. No, I... What they need is they just... They don't need someone with style. They need someone that's just, a, like, a, a manager. Yeah. They just, just why, why don't they just say there were no directors, but we had a lot of producers? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that's what Warner Brothers end up doing with DC movies. Well, the, the thing is that... <laughs> what a silly I, statement. I'd be surprised, if they, be I'd be surprised if they make any more after 
the second Wonder Woman. That's exactly what I, I we both just made the same joke at the same time. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I watched something recently where they talked about how like the future of the DCEU is resting on Aquaman. And I thought, how do you make it that... How do you get in that situation? How do you get in the situation where your future is resting on Aquaman? You know, like, like how badly do you have to mess things up to get there? It's like in a sitcom where, like, they're in a bit uh, in a competition and they, they all get slowly knocked out except for the one stupid character. Yeah. And the one stupid character somehow manages to pull it out of the bag at the last second. <laughs> but like... like, it's all down to you, Johnny. You've got to do it. Aquaman. <laughs> like, the one that no one expects to do well. And then maybe if he does, then it saves everything. Well, there's also Shazam. Does that count? Yeah, it's, it is in the DCEU. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I feel it feels completely separate. It feels like how you know how the other ones took like notes to be like be more like Marvel. This one it wasn't a note, it was just the log line. <laughs> it was just be more like Marvel. Hey, it's directed by David F. Sandberg. What's the, what's the context for that? We like him. What did he do? He did I can't re- I don't He did lights him. out an Annabelle creation. Oh yeah, no, I did know that. I did. What we God, we have been doing this podcast for a while, haven't we? Because I, I remember talking about him with like prospects, <laughs> and that feels like a long time ago. It was only twenty sixteen, but I remember saying, "Oh, he could have, he could make a good film if he was just given Shazam to develop." And then he did Annabelle Creation, which I didn't watch. I don't know if you did. No, oh, fuck no. <laughs> And you seem to like hurting yourself to fi- with films, so I just kind of, <laughs> I just give you that, uh, and then and now on to Shazam. Uh, well, anyway, sure. are we going to wrap up now? I think I think that's wise. Thank you very much for listening to whatever this was. I just want to say that they did definitely did not like this. Who definitely did not like this? The audience. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. But <laughs> if you're up to this point, then it's it's really your fault. Yeah, you only have yourself um, to blame. Uh, if you want to hear more of our stuff, we have the YouTube channel, which we'll probably have something on at some point soon. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. We have Twitter. We have this podcast. We have the other podcast, Backstory Scripts, which I've mentioned uh, previously. Uh, that's really fun. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else to mention? No. Good, good. Well, I'm glad you thought about it. Uh, (laughs) Right, thank you very much for listening, and see you in the next one. Bye. Oh, spooky. (laughs) It's it's, it's October now. It's Halloween, bye.